Hello and welcome to another The Analysis Interview podcast with Total Football Analysis. My name is David Seymour and today I'm joined by Ender Barron. Hi Ender, how's it going? Spectacularly average yourself. <laughs> Likewise, absolutely. Um, Ender has kindly agreed to come onto the podcast once more and this time we're going to be talking about adapting within analysis. And that's a pretty loose theme, but I think it's going to be an interesting topic and I think... Um, It'll become more apparent as we go along as to what we mean by adapting. Um, I won't ask Ender to introduce himself again, but I'll do my best <laughs> to give an overview. So I've got, I mean, Ender, if I go wrong here, you can tell me. Um, Ender is an incredibly experienced analyst, currently working with Bristol Rovers. However, he's also worked with... Mansfield Town. Oh, you were Mansfield? Yeah, oh. I was joined Mansfield. Well, yeah, I'll catch you up. I joined Mansfield in, in February. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, right. Which is uh, somewhat, somewhat annoying because technically I still haven't done a home game for Mansfield. I've done two away games and then we went into the, the lockdown thing. But right, yeah, so okay. I, I left, yeah, I left Rovers uh, mid-Feb and I joined Mansfield. Oh, there you go. That's something I probably should have checked straight away. So then I've got I've got your other clubs down as Portsmouth, Cardiff, and I've got you down working with the Bahrain national team as well. Which Correct, yeah. Excellent. And, uh, and on top of this, Ender has worked in other sports too, having worked in Gaelic football with a host of clubs as well as in Australian rules football with the West Coast Eagles. And I must admit, I'm a little bit excited by that because uh, I'm actually a big AFL fan, so I'm excited to delve into that. Um, I think the, the, a great way to start this off would be just to ask you what the standard of analysis is like in GAA and AFL. Um, very different. Uh, if you're asking me the spectrum of the two, um, they are Aussie rules uh, personally is... Oh, five years ahead of football and I think at the minute GA is about five years behind football so there's a, probably a 10 year gap really personally between AFL and GA. I mean what, what are you specifically looking for as an analyst let's just start on Aussie rules then so why why is it five years ahead? Oh or five years or more I, I, I mean I, it's I was down there in 2005 and I was doing um gps analysis then that was so where are we 2020 now so um and they've only really kicked kicked off doing gps stuff with ga in the last couple of years so it's that really for me is my marker um how far you know because like i said aussie rules was doing uh position specific G, uh, gps and you know, team GPS and, and, you know, coverage of stadiums and whatnot, 2005. And it's only really kind of kicked into popularity in GA. A lot of it's due to the cost as well, of course, like everything else. But like I said, in the last couple of years. So they're just, for me, based purely on that, they're about 10 years behind. And the Aussie rules are about 10 years ahead. Um, They haven't quite got us, especially in GA, they haven't quite got as far as, you know, the, the, the track cab stuff and the pro zone stuff, you know, the, the live GPS, the the live tracking stuff, and um, I mean they have Hawkeye in there last couple of seasons for the the, the you know the the points are they points or not points and and uh, and whatnot. Um, so, but that's not to say you know with given technology and the amount of sports that are out there, I'm sure you probably get a lot of GA haters now. Will will get to say no, no, we're not that far behind. No, 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 and we're there, there's loads of things out there. But you know if I was the, from what I've come across, um, that's where they are. And I mean that with love as opposed to being critical. 
So if, if we look at Aussie rules, what are the – I'm interested to hear what sort of metrics are like um, given a, a lot of attention in those games. Um, I mean, what's – how how do you how do you even go about analysing uh, an Aussie rules game? Um, when I was there, um, gosh, it was uh, it was like being thrown in the deep end from from what I'd come across in the past. Um, it was my first real grounding in everything getting coded. So it's beyond you know. I, I still think sports generally are too focused on possession. You know, counting passes and whatnot, and not that everyone does it. They, they do it as a as a standard, you know, uh, you know, standard bear really. But Aussie rules was the first. You know, it was my first real um, introduction into the other things, the one percenters they call them. Um, they call them hard hard hardball gets and loose ball gets, uh, shepherds tackles that kind of thing. The things that you do off the ball sometimes are so are more important than what you do on the ball because you know in football for example you're only in possession for three percent you know each player is only present in possession for about three percent of 90 minutes so therefore so things that you're doing off the ball whether you're you know tackling heading you know creating space closing down space generally are more important and aussie rules was the first one for me like i said uh they were first ones, especially when it comes to transitions. You know, how do you stop the opposition? And how do you regain the ball? And most invasion games generally are all the same. Um, but uh, you know, uh, it, it, you know, GA Aussie rules football—they're all classes invasion games. You're trying to break into the opposition's half to try and score, and to do that, you have to get the ball. And there's only one ball, so you have to kind of get the ball back and then you know work towards it. So, you know, don't just focus on moving the ball from point to point, you know, there's been any number of studies that will say possession does not equal success. So, you know, look at the other things, you know, look at, you know, how are you closing down space? Are you making off the ball runs? Are you, you know, aiding your opponent's shepherds and tackles? Cause that's what the, like I said, the other rules are big into their one percenters. And when I was down there and it's something that I took back with me, they, uh, basically based on a money ball as well, uh, which is really ironic. Um, they they wanted to get uh, the club that I was with. They wanted to get it down to one number, so they had um, a series of KPIs which they which they weighted. Um, so in, include on the ball and off the ball, but the on the ball sort of possessions and stuff they weren't weighted as they weren't overweighted. So what I mean by that, so say. Um, you had a you had a weighted score you had an impact score in the game of of fifty points. Um, your possessions were only worth a half a point each. Your retained possessions therefore were then worth another half point. So if you get you know thirty five possessions, you, you only get thirty five points. But if you score a goal, you get six. And if you have a tackle um, and, a, and, a, and a, a tackle where you win the ball, it's six points. So it's not just about the on-ballers who get who get loads and loads of possessions. Sometimes they're they're trying to equalise it so that across the pitch, your defenders will get points for winning the ball back, and your 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 forwards then, because they don't see a lot of the ball, will get points then for scoring, for example. So you know that's like I said, some it's it's what you do off the ball. Are you making runs? They used to do that as well. 
you know, they used to track defensive runs from point to point. You know, when your defender run makes a, a 50 yard run up the pitch, they used to grade that as five points as well on top of that, so that you're bringing people away from the ball or you're tracking your run, et cetera, et cetera. So. I mean, so you you spoke about, you know, how still off the ball stuff is definitely recorded and um, and looked at within football. Do you think uh, it's given as much uh, credit or, uh, you know, do you think it's um, looked at as much as it is in AFL? Um, no. Why do you think that is? Um, it's... <sighs> Honestly, I think um, it's not sexy, um, It's and it's difficult to analyse. Uh, I think uh, coming up with cap- uh, d- definitions is probably the biggest problem, and uh, definitions across the board, you know, I, pers- I mean, I've got, you know, I'm not, ho- you know, wholly sold on Optus definitions, which everyone kind of runs off. Um you know, I can come on to that at a different point, but like I don't want to go off on, on too many tangents. But tackles for me uh, are undercoded because um, there's different types of. So you know, in Aussie rules, they have three types of tackles. They have a tackle that they have a tackle where you you touch the ball, so you see uh, where you get your hands on the ball or you're in- intending to play the ball. You then have uh, a contest, which is with the, when you get within two meters of the ball, but you're able to affect play. Uh, and a challenge then is when you don't come in, we put, come within two meters of the ball, but you're affecting play. And I think that's undercoded in football because, in f- from what I've seen and what I've come across, uh, up to pro zone, wide scout, the whole nine yards with. I don't mean to name drop those. There were football. Feel free to, de- to delete those out if you need to. Um, <laughs> but they're undercoded, and they generally only put tackles down as the one where you win the ball. And it's like, well, you can you can put in a tackle and not win the ball, but you've stopped the phase of play or you've curtailed things. So that, that's for me is my biggest problem is that we they're too afraid to code things by only coding the one thing that they're sure about. And it's one in three. From what I've seen, it's one in three. So they only code one every, every three to, of, of three tackles. And, and do you think there's that, that, that football teams are, are missing out by not looking at these things in more depth? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. 100%. Now, they probably are looking at them, but it's not broadcast. Um, I know Man City have a, an entire research and development department that you know will be going out to all those sports and they will have come across this at some point and you know they will be probably be doing it in-house and not telling anyone which is again probably the biggest problem in football that you know expected goals and expected assists and you know when it comes to the things that are broadcast in the public domain they're they need to be easy to digest and sexy to come across and you know contest challenges no they aren't they aren't interesting but they are more interesting i find so I mean, obviously, obviously, you worked in both Aussie Rules and Gaelic. Is I mean, I, I'm surprised to hear Gaelic so far behind Aussie Rules because I always just assume it's you know it's, they're very similar games. Oh, is that purely down to the financial standpoint, or do you think there's a different attitude towards the analysis within Gaelic? Um, well, it's it's multi. I mean, it, it, it sounds harsh when you say that it's that far behind, but they are that far behind, and it's not the fact there's anything wrong with GAA. Um, you know, county football is only on for 16 weeks of the year. Um, 
it's the the funds generally are held are retained by by the by the, the central GA office. None of the teams are professional. They might train as professionals, but they aren't professional. They have their overheads that they'll need to pay before um, they put money into the off-field stuff. And I think a lot of the success that GA has had recently has been tied into uh, university research. Um, a lot of which, you know, tend to be based around this, the you know centres, so Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick. You know, that's where a lot of the in-house, because obviously universities have bigger budgets, they can go and get analysis suites like they have in Carlo, they have one in DCU, they have one with UL, uh, probably have one in CIT as well, or UCC. But they have those regional centers where those universities are able to put money into it. Again, you'll probably get a number of haters that will say, though, that's not true. And But, you know, it's... From what from what I've come across, uh, individual counties themselves generally don't have access to the funds to be able to go and get um, 35 GPS vests, for example, or sit down and employ an analyst that has a laptop with a sports code or a huddle subscription. Um, they try to do their best within financial structures, and I think the biggest difference is that you know the AFL has a wage cap for players, um, so you can't go go above a certain amount. And the rest of it then is, is you know, whatever money you have outside of the wage cap is put into your off-field stuff. So there's an element of development, regardless of what players you have and how successful you are. Each club will have, say, it's $8 million. Um, they'll have, a, a, you know, whatever income they can garner outside of that can get put into the analysis, the GPS, sports science, physiotherapy, you know, performance centers, staff, call it what you want, you know. And the fact, the matter is, you know, AFL, I think, is the most popular sport in Australia uh, and the professional, et cetera, et cetera. GA, you know, it, it lags behind because they aren't professional and they aren't, you know, it's the other thing that GA players do. They have their real jobs. They have, so they're all teachers and students. So they have to focus on that as opposed to, oh, I must go and train or I have to go and do this and I have to go and do my, they'll do it as well. Granted, but the ongoing joke within GA is only teachers and students are able to play GA at a decent level because everyone else is either too tired or too busy to do it. <laughs> do you? I mean, something that I've I've seen a lot is that coaches look for the likes of basketball and ice hockey for ideas, and I wonder if it's just exclusive to those sports. Do you think that there are um, certain areas or, or things within Gaelic and Aussie rules that could be transferable from a coaching standpoint to um, football. Yes, within um, within a, yes, but no. I mean, when I think about American sports, American sports um, are technically a series of set plays broken down. So we look at American football, for example, they have an offensive and a defensive team, and they they switch between the two and. Um, you have like three or four quarterbacks on the pitch at all time. You can flick between the three of them. You know, they only play two, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's a series of set plays. Basketball is another one. That's a series of set plays. Uh, ice hockey is slightly more fluid. Baseball, you know, is the archetypal closed sport where you only get a series, you know, you only get, I think it's 12 outcomes. You know, in baseball, they're either going to hit it or miss, and then it's either going to stay in or, 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 be a be a foul ball so you know football and you know the other invasion games the so ga they're slightly more fluidic interaction because 
the players are on the pitch and there's turnovers. You have to your offensive team become your defensive team all the time. Um, I don't mean to be critical of U.S. sports, but uh, the the transfers there there really is that you know the ball does go dead in football, it goes dead in rugby, it goes dead in, in AFL, and you have a set play, and that's why Liverpool have employed a throwing coach because they are that important because you're going to get fifty five or sixty of them a game, and it's a free hit to retain the ball. So you may as well do it properly as opposed to just being, you know, throw it in and see what happens, you know? Um, so there is, you can focus on doing, because like in your corners and free kicks, you're, yes, it's a, you know, it's a free kick into the box, but you've also, you can do the Man City way, just keep possession, just, just pass the ball. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if that's, if I was taking one thing from, from US sports, that'd be it, is the importance of retaining possession from a, a set play. Do you, do you feel that, um, I mean, as you spoke about with Liverpool, with the throwing coach, and although that's got a lot of attention this season, um, I still think there's, there definitely seems to be some sort of resistance within, perhaps within coaching towards that, maybe less so with, uh, analysis. Is there, um, I mean, how, how would you be measuring sort of retention from throw-ins? Would you literally be watching your team's throw-ins and, and just seeing how many times they keep keep the ball? Is there a, a quicker way to do this? Basically, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Everyone thinks well, you know when when people hear throw-in coaches, they think Roy Delap, which is incorrect. You know that it's not just a ball chucked into an area. You know because throw-ins from a defensive point of view, are, easy, are fairly straightforward to mark as everyone picks up. And it's difficult to retain possession from a throw-in when it's when it's defended properly because who do you throw to? If everyone's picked up, who do you throw to? And, you know, throw to feet, give, give, give it back to the taker. What do you do from there? So how do you free up space? How do you free up? A throw it into the box. How do you throw free? You know, so it's it's actually more complex than just well, Roy Lap is putting it into the box. You know, d- d- doing crossovers, d- throwing it safe side. You know, who who releases the defensive? What defensive player takes the thrower? So when the ball does come into play, you know, there's lots and lots of moving parts. So it's not just you know, an off- an offensive sticking onto somebody's head. It's creating space and defending space and you know uh, like I said if there's 60 of them if you had 60 corners a game you'd have a you'd have a corner coach without even thinking about it so you know listen, I think it's a great move really from Liverpool in, 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 and it's that's the, what the type of thing that it takes is those specialised coaches because I mean they're more and more popular now at Premier League level because obviously they can afford to carry those coaches but you know you've, you've, you have you're going to have a set play coach because there's there's hundred set plays a game if you can, if you include throw-ins so you know why wouldn't you so you 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 started um, with with Gaelic and and then obviously you went into AFL is it easy to cross over as an analyst from those games into into football I mean you said that invasion games are, are similar in principle so was that an easy transition for you very and I mean it's it's just getting to getting your head around the rules of the game um, AFL uh, and GA are very, very similar because all the positions are, very, are exactly the same. You have uh, six defenders, um, six forwards, and uh, six, six, 12. Uh, you've got no goalkeeper, and you have three midfielders. And then they add in, they call them rover players. 
Um, so you have three rook. So you have your ruckman, your two rovers that that go with the ruckman wherever they go, and then you have your four interchange bench then as well. So you know the the, the set positions in a, in AFL are more or less the exact same as they are in GAA, which makes it very very easy to transfer over. Uh, the, you know, other than the ball being different and the goals being different, you know, your the ideology is the same one. Once you get your head around the rules, you know there is this huge tra- huge transferability from point to point. You know, the only real difference to to soccer really is that the fact there's less players and the goals are different shape. You know, the pitches are different shapes and all that as well. But you know, when it comes to the 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 thing you, you want to do, you want to put the ball in the other person's goal. You know, that's really what it, what it breaks down to. Rugby's the same because that's basically what you're doing with the rules being slightly different. So, you know, it's how you get there really is 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 is, is the biggest thing. You know, and GA and AFL, they're they're almost the exact same, other than like not having a goalkeeper, which is that's why they have the compromise rules game as well. That you know, you end up with the you know the best of the Irish amateurs against the, the best of the Aussie pros, and obviously, the, the Aussies have been winning them hands down the last couple of years because you know they've pushed on that much more with their fitness and their physicality and the bulk and their their skills and all that because they have all those skills coaches like they have in the Premier League and stuff at, at Aussie Rules level and you know it's just one of those things that it ends up being but yeah they are the same you know I think all invasion games are the same really other than the rules being different do, do you see similarities you, you say in how you know if they get to the goal do you see similarities from GAA and AFL to football in terms of progressing the ball yes very much back to front uh, you know in GA is 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 very similar to football in that respect because they have they both have goalkeepers and goalkeepers have to set up and it's it's a dead ball and they can either play short or they can kick long which is the same in football you end up having so if you if if you play short you don't have to work the ball from back to front you know there's three defenders in uh, you know on a full back line in GA there's sometimes three centre halves in football so you know it's again figuring out figuring out space where how you you run into create space or you you know are you kicking long to a to a contest which is you know again not something that is overly coded in football but is coded in, in GA um they don't code success from from goal kick go from goal kicks in in football really but they do in GA because it's you know a key component breakdown which is what they have in AFL so, so yeah, so, you know, and then, like I said, you know, from when it comes to football to GA and AFL, if you're going from back to front, you know, you still have to pass the ball forward, which is, you know, across all three sports is, is, is should be heavily coded forward passes, uh, forward pass success rate, whether you kick long, whether you kick short, they're all, you know, how you getting the ball from you through the thirds, defensive midfield and forward third, same in football, same in GA, same in AFL. So, and then you know how many pass do you your chains of possessions? How do you how many pass do you need to to get a shot at goal? Will obviously differ from numbers of players in the pitches, size of the pitch, and you know the target. But you know, so all three are 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 more or less the same in that respect. You know, do you think there's a a benefit for clubs, football clubs, to bring in brains from other sports, or do you just think that an analyst is an analyst? Um, yes, uh, I, I think. Most good analysts should have should do different sports. Um, I I note the fact at the minute that the head of analysis with the FA uh, is Reese Long, who was in my master's class, and 
he was working with the Lions and he was working with Wales and would be rugby through and through, but as head of a football organization. So, you know, that says it all really for me is that, you know, when you have a rugby guy at the top of the football pyramid, what more do you want, really? That's just enough of an indication that there are, you know, analysts are analysts that you, you, you know, any good analyst should be able to not just do football, you should be able to go and do netball or go and do basketball so that you, you know, you should be able to do it because, you know, don't just consider yourself a football guy. You know, if you're clever, coaches will get out, they will go and do club visits because it's part of the, the pro license um, thing now to be able to go and experience different cultures. And going so they should be able to go and do different sports as well. And you know, there's nothing wrong with you know going and seeing what, what a rugby club do. Because when I was at Bristol Rovers, we had the Bristol Bears who were the next field over. So you'd be embarrassed really to, you know, I I, I should have gone in there more really when I was in in there. But you know, you that's the type of thing you should do when you have the time to do it and and schedules permitted to do it. Go and do it. Why wouldn't you do it? If especially if they're there, you know, and it's just something that, you know, especially when it comes, like I said, to invasion games being being similar, you know, go and do it. Just, you know, why wouldn't you do it? You know, there's there's a friend of mine working with um, a, a championship club now who religiously went to, uh, he was working with Exos and he went to um, the NFL just to be able to, Put your see what they do, see what you can take back, and see what transfers. Don't think that football is this bubble that you can only work within football because every sport is different, and there's always there's great marriages to be taken up if you do it right between sports. Why wouldn't you do it? it what What's the the one sort of um, real benefit that you can think of that comes to mind straight away that's impacted you as an analyst from working uh, in in a variety of sports? Um, God, now you put me in the spot. Uh, so I don't, don't word it to make it sound like you had this like straight away. So don't worry. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I think um, studying off the ball, uh, off the ball and turnovers, probably the, the two biggest ones. Probably, yeah, I would uh, possibly turnovers because uh, one of the one of the things I think again are underlooked at. Um, is how you lose the ball. Because, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, we had a 97% pass success rate. Okay, so what happened to 3%? You know, was there, did you give the ball away loosely? Did you give the ball away uh, with a forward pass? Were you trying something or was it just a skill error? Um, and I think it's important really to, to understand that because um, forward passes you're putting the ball at risk. Every time you play the forward pass, you're putting the ball at risk in, in any sport. And I think if there's an intent to play, so say you're playing a through ball and the defender cuts it out, it's not an unsuccessful pass. because Well, it is an unsuccessful pass because obviously you didn't retain possession, but there's a certain element of, um, you know, you, there's, an, there's an effort to create a chance. So, you know, it's just one of those unfortunate things, you know. If you're, uh, if you've passed the ball to the up to, you know, if your defenders pass the ball to a striker, for example, and they score a goal, that's obviously an unsuccessful pass. But the, you know, if the intent is there to create something that's not just loose, uh, you know, that for me is is important. Uh, if there's a high skill error thing, so say 
you have um, holding centre midfielder in football that is passing the ball forward and it keeps he keeps shelling out a play, or keeps going to the you know he's, he's, so he has five of these passes in a game that are too long or you know that's a skill thing. So that, that's the sort of type of thing then you can take into coaching practice where we've noticed that you're trying to do this pass. So if you're trying to do that, set up a mannequin, set up a small goal that you know get the technique of it right so that you can transfer that that to a game, you know. Or don't kick the ground, whatever you know the case is. So you know, but you know that's for me is one of those things that you know sometimes you need to look at the other thing that people aren't doing. You, I mean, I just want to quickly jump on um, what you said about the American sports, and I think I think the, the general consensus is that American sports are ahead of what is going on in football right now in terms of level of analysis. Um, and first of all, I mean, I'd be interested to know whether you think that's the case. But secondly, why that's the case and whether it's, as you said, down to the nature of the games being like a series of set plays. Uh, no, I think it's money. Um, you know, money makes the world go around. And when you look at the uh, college football in the US, um, the college stadiums they have attached to universities are far, out, uh, far exceed anything they have at university level here. And a lot of it's down to, you know, the amount of money that is floating around U.S. sports, personally. You know, when you when you have, you know, when you can afford to have all the bells and whistles and all the tools, you know, you're going to have, you're going to keep pushing the boundaries of what you can and, and the, another 1%, another 1%, another 1%. And that's just nature of the beast. You know, uh, uh, U.S. sports, I think, are, you know, are, are terrific in what they do because, you know, careers in the U.S. are so short. Generally, um, you know, two years in the NFL, baseball is pretty short too. That you, you, you're compensated stars to because they know their careers are short. But to get the maximum out of them, you have to have all the bells and whistles, whistles to, to enable them to be the the best player they can possibly be. So you know, terrific. Mm. Okay, I'd like I'd like to sort of. Um sort of transition into into the football side and I mean it'd be a great way to start by talking about your experience with the Bahrain national team. I mean, first and foremost, how does the level and focus of analysis change at international level compared to at club level? Um the it, it changed because uh, you know with working with the national team was 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 more intense, uh more compressed and um it was different because we had to uh, like like I said before, we had to do everything twice because of the language barrier, um, and but it made everything more specific. So rather than use say three clips to highlight a point, you might only use one because we we had to go over it twice. Um, we use you know as is always the way with with international football, you take a lot of your own stuff. So you'll do a training session, record it, and. You'll go through it then to highlight patterns of play, uh, setups, um, so that they can see it for themselves, visualize it for themselves, and it's 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 a pattern run through. Um, you know, you might use some in-game footage as well to highlight that too. It was it was just it was different. Um, it was very very different. I'm not saying that that isn't used at um, at club level. Um, I find it different at club level because you've much more time to go through. A much broader spectrum of stuff, and you end up 
uh, patterns of play generally only take one or two days. You might do, um, I mean, there might be a crossing and finishing session that might not necessarily need to be gone through in a team meeting. Um, so I suppose at international level, everything, like I said, is more just a little bit more intense. I find the camp, I, f- I found the camps very intense. Didn't sleep a lot. Um, because you end up, obviously anyone that has worked with video knows how long video takes to generate. And when you're, cause I was using a, um, a software at the time called tactics, which was, uh, uh, it was a, it was a drill animation software. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of them out there now, but to go through, we used to create one of the, it used to take hours to create the session that they wanted to do. So the pattern of play, um, the, the manager wanted to go through to then created in a, in a session, which we then recorded um, to show the lads. And then we used to do take that the, the training session into, into the game footage. So that when that pattern of play approached, why did it break down and or why was it successful? So, you know, it's just one of those, like I said, over a 10-day period of an international camp, when you factor in travel everywhere in the Middle East is much further away than Oh, I, I, I ever thought possible. And I suppose it's one of those things because we have um we were in the Asian League and and the Asian Cup and you know, our games um we played Kazakhstan uh in Dubai, which is one of the shorter ones. We played a home game against North Korea, but you end up then playing North Korea away. Which you know that's the that's the that's wow. past Japan. So you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those yeah. things where, you know, Europe thinks everywhere, everywhere is far away, um, which it is. But when you're in Bahrain, you know, you're, uh, London is, is a seven-hour flight. India is six. That's, you know, Indi- India is closer to Bahrain than, than Britain is. And then you, you're still thinking you're still only in India, you know. And like I said, with those away games um, are tough because you spend an awful lot of time traveling. And Anthony went down, Anthony also went down to New Zealand after that. And he had the biggest, that was his biggest complaint was that when you think about the Oceania uh, cup, you know, New Zealand are one of the furthest away countries in the world to get to. And their nearest country is, Australia, is Sydney. And that's a six hour flight. And you're only in Sydney, you know, when you, cause they played Peru and Bolivia in those, uh, in the World Cup qualifiers. And they ended up going to, and it's just the scale of the of the job that's being asked to do is is you know is is it just seemed more amplified because of the um, the language uh, the standard you know the 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 level you know you end up uh, a lot of uh, the, the 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 biggest difference I found was that um, Middle Eastern footballers they're very they're very they're very small very light and very technical. Um, they don't genetically. They don't have the same bulk and the same speed as European footballers, so the game is a little bit slower. Um, but it, me- it does mean they're more technical. But because they end up training and playing at later at night, everything is just so different and so alien. I suppose coming out of club football being number one, and then going into club f- and international football in a different country in a different part of the world, it was it was so different. To what you to what you used to, so I suppose it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, adapt and overcome. Did Did you find there was a lasting impact on the way you delivered an analysis because of your experiences with a language barrier, or did you feel it was just how you adapted for that that particular job? Oh yeah, no, yeah, it 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 makes 
um, you, you make your, you, you make yourself more critical of what you're putting on because you know it has to be right. So, like I said, rather than using, uh, I mean, it's hardly groundbreaking now, but you know, when you use when you're doing video clips, um, the way I do it now, uh, I do a long version for the coaches. So I make a point, and, I ha- and to make that point, um, I'll highlight three or four clips of a team's pattern of play or a, or, or a weakness or a strength or whatever, and I'll highlight that and then take the best one out of those four and put it into the ones for the lads so that it's not you're not dumping all this information on them. You're making a point, backing it up with a clip, make a point, back it up with a clip, which I, which I took from my time in Bahrain. Um, because, like I said, when you go, have to go through everything twice, um, it just makes everything, like I said, you have to be, you have to be more specific, which made my analysis more specific coming back. Um, and it made, you know, sometimes, like I said, you don't want to, you know, people talk about keeping players' attention spans, um, which works both ways, because you could, you know, if you're, if you're only making one point, sometimes you have three or four clips making that one point, which is fine. Or do you make, three points and have one clip each, you know, depends on how much information they can retain. But that was the last thing one anyway, was just being more specific. Do you, I mean, this, this was, this is a question I originally wrote thinking about um, your time working in, you know, the Premier League or the championship and, and then working in league one, for example, I was going to ask you how your analysis adapted the different leagues, but I guess it's a, uh, uh, international question as well. Did you find there was different? Um, there's an emphasis on on different different things to analyze. For example, um, across all those leagues, uh, yeah, they are uh, they are hugely different. Um, I don't mean this to come across as really disrespectful, but I suppose you know when it comes to the lower leagues, the problems. And the issues you're trying to solve are slightly more uh, gross. Um, what I mean by that is that uh, when it comes to um, the the game of football itself, you end up having to solve bigger problems at lower levels, as opposed to you know at the elite level, you're talking about very very specific nuances. Um, when it, like uh, Premier League teams across the board will be fairly similar, that the players will have you know, similar technique levels, the similar fitness levels, and you end up highlighting 1% or, or very specific areas of weakness, um, which are not as, well, they are more, they're more pronounced the lower down you go. Uh, a lot of it is due to the players being slightly, you know, we're talking about milliseconds here, but, they're not as good as making this good as making the proper decisions under pressure properly. The lower down you go, that's probably the biggest difference, other than the speed of the game as well. Um, and it obviously changes your analysis by proxy because you have to. I find the lower down you go, um, you end up. I ended up having to do, having to look at um, weaknesses in a much broader way. So um, I found myself analyzing formations and how they interact and where space is where your overloads are and how you can exploit them and i find the messages you have to end up getting repeated more i suppose would be the best point best way to put it so that if you're playing 442 for example um crossing shots you having to emphasize that on a more regular basis 
you know, don't not turn down crossing opportunities when you're playing four four two in in lower levels. You know, can you can you buy a yard to put a cross in where the higher up you go, that becomes less of a pronounced message because everything becomes more assumed. You end up being able to give more specifics in how you can get that yard and how you can create that overload. If that makes sense, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. One one of the one of the uh, things I often ask coaches is does their coaching change based on league position or perhaps the time of the season and generally they, they seem to say no they, they will sort of stick to their guns stick to their principles as such is, is that the same for uh, analysts or do they ask you to look at different things as the, as the season progresses or perhaps based on their league position um i'm not too sure that's necessarily fair for coaches to say that they're that they they won't adapt with the time of the season i, I, I find you do um, and you have to do it because, uh, but they'll do it in very subtle ways. So we're not talking about wholesale changes. I suppose again, that's just one of those, you know. You now coaches will work off minutes, so they'll work off. They, they might do three v threes and four v fours in a smaller area or a bigger area, or they might do something for eight minutes, for example. Uh, and the start of the season might be ten, and at the end of the season it might be eight. So. You know your principles have stayed the same in a way, so I suppose they are correct. It's just you you do adapt over time because you can't do an early season program at the end of the season because tiredness and you're tapering to try and get the most out of them. So you do adapt and you have to adapt because you know you can't keep doing what you're doing at the start of the season, at the end of the season because you end up breaking. Now I think that arguably, you know, and again, there'd be loads of hatred for, for, for me for saying this, but that, is that why Leeds weren't promoted last year? Because Bielsa tried to do the whole season and get Leeds to play that whole way through the entire season. And that's why they tapered off and fell off because you can't physically carry it all through. And maybe that's why they're in a position they are now because he has adapted. Now we're only talking a couple of minutes here and there, but over the, sp- over the span of a season, you know, you do. Um, from an analysis point of view, you do adapt, yeah, because um, you get information blindness. I find the lower down you go, the more boring the message gets, because um, especially because you come up against similar formations on a more regular basis, the message gets boring, and you end up having trying to find ways to adapt it. And trying to find the ways to make it interesting. Um, you know, I, I found myself, we played Coventry um, four times in the space of about five weeks over Christmas and New Year. Played them in the FA Cup and we played them in the league and in a, in a replay game. And they played 3-5-2, you know, in, in all those games. And over the space of that month, you know, you're thinking nothing has changed. <laughs> You know, Coventry's teams remained fairly consistent. Their style of plays remained fairly consistent. And, you know, there's an element of blindness from that because, you know, it's it's boring for me to do. It's boring for me to deliver the, the second and the third and the fourth time that you think of, well, you know, you end, your meetings become shorter because, you know, you're rehashing the same thing over and over again. I, and I find, you know, that's probably one of the, one of the things is, is as good analysts will will try and make it different and try and keep it varied, and it's coming up with ways to make it varied, and make it make it different. That's really interesting. Um, 
Well, one thing I want to ask you is how your analysis adapts to a managerial change at the club. Because one thing I, I, I'd be interested to hear about is, does a lot of your work for the previous manager then just essentially go out the window or does your um, do your um, focuses change just completely or, or do you find that actually it's a relatively smooth process that they still want to know what you were doing for the last manager um, and you build upon that? Um, it's, th- th- this is a great question. You know, I could, I could talk about this for hours, hours and hours and hours on end. I find managerial changes are one of the most stressful things that any analyst goes through. Um, I find myself grading myself on where your club finishes in the league. And sometimes it can be hard to take um, when you're you know, lower mid-table that you don't consider yourself the 15th, the 16th, the 17th, 18th worst analyst in the league, you know, and even though that's where you finish. And I find managers come in and they sometimes some of them can be very heavy-handed uh, I'm not going to name names, um, but they can, you know, sometimes come across like that what you were doing was, wasn't was right, which is difficult to take because, you know, I think analysts generally work and they pour a lot of themselves into their work and it's very personal and, and they can get very defensive because it's not that I'm, I'm haven't physically put on a pair of boots and a pair of shin pads, shorts and socks and a jersey. So other than you know doing that, you know, there's there's, there's not a great deal I can do to to affect the result. Um, and you know, I'm I take it very personally when when people say that's not right, and it's like, wow, you know, didn't think that was so wrong, you know. And uh, across the board, I generally find analysts do a lot of the same things. Hardly groundbreaking statements. Um, managers will come along with a very fixed way of doing things, and they like it to have it their way uh, because it makes them comfortable that, that they think when it comes to delivering a job and doing the thing that they're being asked to do, that if I don't have it my way, um, I want it my way because that's the, the way I know that works. And you end up having a bit of a personality clash really between if you if an analyst is is at a club when a manager's come in that they've done a good job and they try to do as good of a job as they possibly can and it was fine for the last manager doesn't mean that it's automatically wrong for the next one and there can be it can be it can be quite awkward for a couple of weeks while everyone figures everyone out because all analysts will do a match report and the style will change and the information in there will change and the layout will be different but I find the information is generally all the same because, you know, and you're, you're only talking about nuances and details. And I, I find some of the, you know, coaches generally could come in and adapt what we have as opposed to wholesale changing what, you know, this is the way I want it. And it's like, well, you know, fine. Because it then takes, it pushes the pressure back on. When, when a manager comes in and says, I want it done this way and that's, and that's it. It can put a lot of pressure on the analyst to figure out that way because they'll have their processes down and they'll be able to work through their workflows quickly and be able to you know, adapt when things go wrong based on what they know. And then to have this new way dumped on you, you have to figure out the problems first before you can start doing it properly. And it's difficult. 
and it's it's a, it can be a very very unfair because they're generally stressful times anyway because you're worried about keeping your job added to the stress that well the manager's going to get rid of me if i don't do this properly so then you end up spending more and more hours trying to figure it all out without anyone ever telling you that you're actually doing a good job and one of the, my biggest bugbears with coaches across the board is that they're they're, they're first off to criticize but very light when it comes to um appreciating people and saying well done and especially when the result goes well you know it should filter down because saturday at three o'clock or saturday at five o'clock when you've won four nil is a culmination of a week's work and you're allowed to share in the plaudits as well as be criticized when things go wrong because people are not shy really of criticizing you when do things do go wrong um good analysts though at the same time will be able to adapt um and being able to do that and not being stuck in your ways and being able to absorb things uh i think is vitally important uh i generally find um if i was given advice to analysts especially when it comes to managerial changes is um do what you can first off and let them come to you as opposed to being heavy-handed and say this is what i do um that like i said i think it should filter from the top down as, as opposed to being pushed up and sometimes i think analysts can get, get very very heavy-handed saying well this is the way i know that works and you know this is it because that's when problems start because managers won't won't stand for you know being told what they you know what they're doing because it's their way or the highway ultimately so you know yeah. i mean how how do you adapt this is, this is my last question how, how do you adapt to new technology um do you prefer to stick with your own processes and what's worked for you before um or you know i mean are you are you slightly resistant or are you aware that particularly in, in analysis you're always having to sort of um be on top of you know whatever the the, the the new technology or the new metric or whatever it is that is coming into the game because i mean it seems to move so fast um i am stuck in my ways uh, i am the uh, I will openly admit that, that I do get stuck in my ways at times because when it comes to uh, time pressurized situations, choose a Saturday, choose a Saturday, choose a Saturday, choose a Saturday, I do know it works. I know it works my way. And I find companies are great at trying to reinvent the wheel uh, when it comes to flogging a product. My default answer when say somebody add, adds you on LinkedIn with, a, with, with something that they want to sell, because that's generally where the sales pitches start is on LinkedIn. And my default answer is always no. First off, I, I don't want what you have. And you really have to prove yourself to me that your your thing is what it says on the tin, because a lot of the time I find companies are – across the board trying to sell the same product to you in, in, in a different way with a different bell and whistle. Now, the other side of it is the bigger companies then will try and sell you something that you don't want because they obviously want to make more money from you. And one of the biggest ones, are, you know, I was thinking about this kind of this morning. Uh, one of the biggest ones, I'm not going to, again, name drop too much, um, but one of the bigger analysis companies, um, I remember when I was a carrot, they were, they were trying to, flog something that two years they were two years two years later they're giving away for free and i thought that's really ironic that they were trying to get us you know to 
to pay three grand more because we we're in the Premier League to some then two years later they were given away for free as a, as an extra add on to their package. And I thought I I you know that's why I'm so cautious about saying yes to things unless it's an absolute absolutely necessary. Um, I'll, I'll just say no because you know those things generally get tacked on at some point. Uh, if you're patient with it, they'll get tacked on at some point because because those bigger companies then realise that we're not actually going to make a lot of money from selling this to every club. So what we'll do is we'll increase our prices by £100 a month. And that's its actual value as a value as opposed to its initial value. You know, and £100 a month for, say, something that costs you three and a half grand a year, so it goes up to three point three thousand six hundred a year. You know, clubs are more willing to absorb it that way as opposed to, well, this, is, this costs three grand on top of the three and a half grand you're paying already, which is like, well, why would I bother paying that, you know? Um, I find with technology as well, uh, I find bigger companies will try and flog you everything. I went to a, again, not to name drop, I went to a, uh, one of those end of the season seminars a couple of years back and the company was trying to sell me, they were trying to, they promised improved workflows. That was the, that was the big buzz, buzz line. You know, analysts spend a lot, a lot of time doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, we want to streamline your workflow. And then the other half of the seminar was, well, we have all these other products that we can add to your product that, you know, if you can afford it, you know, will this will help you do this. And, it's, and I'm, my reaction afterwards was, you said you were going to increase the workflow and improve it and make things better and make things quicker because there's not enough errors in the day for analysts anyway. Don't then try and sell us something else that adds to your workflow to make it to actually make it worse. And I thought it was a bit rich um, for a company to come along and then sell you the solution and the problem in the same in the, in the same day. And you know, I thought, uh, you know, it's great. For, you know, the lower down you go, this you know, again, I, you know, I know this. This comes back to the GA thing and with the NFL thing. When you have an unlimited budget, you can have all the bells and whistles. All the bells and whistles. Um. And an analyst, uh, your analysts would gladly have all the products if they could afford it. Um, and sometimes you have to be critical with yourself. Um, there are, I, I, I look at telestrations because there was, I was sent on an article this week about telestrations and their impact in elite football. And, uh, I think they're a great add-on, but sometimes detract from the message because the amount of work you have to put in to get to that point, I think, sometimes is is too much. I remember when when Piero came out first, um, they were try they, they had it in at Fulham. I think Andy Scolding had it at Fulham at Fulham, and he used to say hours, absolute hours, and the technology, and he said, you know. The price was extortionate anyway, but they wanted it because they wanted to show it like like Sky Sports, and it meant more because it was something that the players could relate to because it's on this is it's the Sky Sports way. But he said the technology to get there and the hours to get to that point, and like I said, especially when you're only using one clip, you're thinking, well, what's the you know what's the point? And so sometimes I think, what's the there has to be there's always an easier way. There's always an easier way when it comes to uh, 
the to, to, to these things. Now there is a way um, you can do telestrations for free using PowerPoint, and you know, so basically, you know, the easy way. I mean, listen, this. I mean, I'm sure analysts have done it across the world, but you, 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 you clip your to you clip your video to the movie frame. You take a photograph of it, put it in PowerPoint, draw on it with arrows, uh, put save it as a jpeg put the photograph back into the video so that you literally you know when it comes to so the movie will play through and the still will be the thing whatever you've drawn in powerpoint now it looks rough and ready and it's not as smooth when you're tracking dots and tracking players with all those other telestrations that are out there but to emphasize a point do you really need to go through all that hard work click and click 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 circle click circle click circle click just to get just to make a point. And sometimes I think technology analysis is getting lost in technology, the things you can do as opposed to things you should do. And there's the two very, very different things. You don't need to do absolutely everything to get the, your message across because if the clip is obvious, you don't need any telestrations. It, sometimes people just do it because, well, they're, they're doing it at, at Everton. So, you know, it's good. And it, that's the other side of it then. It's a kind of a double-edged sword, really, because the higher up you go, people think that, so, you know, when you go and do interviews, for example, sometimes, you know, you'll be asked to put telestrations on. And um, I was knocked back from a job because the telestrations weren't up to scratch, not not to where they were. And it's like, so, but was the message right? You know, don't be worried about the the, the diagram. If the message was accurate and the analysis was good, what difference does it make? And you know, I, I you know, te technology is great, but it's it should never lead what you do; it should add to what you do. And like I said, my default answer with anyone that adds me on LinkedIn and then tries to send me something is no, because you know I want you to come back to me then with with something. And I had an interesting conversation again. I'm not going to name drop with a company who was last week. Uh, they were trying to sell uh, a camera to me, camera that had, you know, it was artificial, artificial technology, artificial intelligence. And I think I was so interested in it because I thought AI is where it's going to go. And they will take the squidgy bit, the, the human out of analysis uh, eventually. You know, they will, somebody at some point will uh, create, will write enough code that, software will be able to analyze the game itself the human will come along and and certify granted but i i want to get it on the i was desperate to get it on the ground floor of it and when they turned around and did the demo within about 35 seconds i said this is not what it, they're selling and all it was, was was a camera that was that was video stitching and i had a go with them and i said you've sold this as artificial intelligence and it's not all it is is video stitching technology and that's been around. Uh, it's nice. Saw that when I was a Cardiff. So that would have been twelve years ago. They were doing video stitching. So you know, you're not giving me something that I don't already know. And you know, it's just so difficult. Um, I find, I find with analysts, they overcook it. They overcook what they are, where they are, and what they do. And uh, sometimes I think, you know. Proper analysis is, you know, reflecting what your coach wants and the message you're trying to get across as clearly as possible. 
sometimes like i said it needs to be one clip sometimes it's three clips sometimes there's 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 telestrations on it sometimes there's not sometimes you're as well off just to use a smart board which i've gone out of vogue really because telestrations have taken over but i think the interactivity of smart boards i know that i'm probably a little bit old school now but if you want a player to understand something the, the players good players are very kinesthetic and they learn by feel and if they understand on a video screen by drawing on it themselves, you know, for me, that's, you know, I would, yeah, I suppose, I mean, there's no right way. And, you know, I, but for me, that's where, especially where, where I'm at now, I think what is the clearest message and how what's the easiest way I can get this across in as quick a time as possible? Because there's only one of me. That's what, again, the higher up you go, you go to the Man United, you go to Man City, you go to Everton, you go to Liverpool. There's analysts all over the place. There's five and six and seven. There's 10 people in a room and there's only one of me. And what it boils down to is that you're doing, the lower down you go, you end up absorbing jobs and you end up being your pre-match, post-match and recruitment all in one person. And there's an entire department dedicated to that at the top level. So, you know, it's easy when you have all the bells and whistles and all the money and all the finances in the world to be able to add on all those things. But, you know, you can replicate, but don't let it detract from the message you're trying to get across because that's where that's what it boils down to. You're, all you're doing is giving information to players about what you want. You know, bells and whistles are great, but, you know, if you have, um, you know, a turbo and a, and a dump valve in a Corsa, you're still driving a Corsa. That's very true. <laughs> very true. Um, that was that was a terrific answer, and and I think just th- this whole podcast has been so interesting, particularly to look at analysis from on, from this angle that we have or this route that we've gone down. So, um, I mean, firstly, thank you so much for giving up your time, and I really appreciate it. I mean, no problem. Like I said, I mean, uh, there's, I, I think you know, I think these are great because there's not enough of these out there, uh, and there's not enough because everyone's learning and. There's more and more analysts being turned out on a yearly basis that, you know, everyone picks up information. And even if 5% of what I said is used, then it's 4% more than I thought was going to be used, to be honest. So, you know, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ender. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you again next time. 